The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. John Fesco. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. I'm just going to read one brief passage from Genesis chapter 2, which gives us hopefully some reflective thought, material, if you will, for this morning's chapel address. Read in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I can remember as a child that my brother and I had uh, a high-tech video game system, an Atari 2600. If you don't know what that is, Google it. Uh, You know, I can remember playing Pong with my brother, two lines on either side of the screen where you would try to bounce what was supposed to be a ball back and forth and try to get it past the other player. And my brother and I joked at this point in our lives, we said, look, it's, it's tennis. Look, it's soccer. Look, it's, it's basketball. It's hockey. Uh, you could make it whatever you wanted it to be. But oh, how the times have changed and how much technology has progressed And in particular, we can say that virtual reality has made leaps and bounds. And we could also add to that augmented reality. Virtual reality being essentially creating your own virtual world within the uh, digital realm or augmented reality, uh, looking out upon the existing world, but using computer technology in order to enhance it or supposedly to make it more useful. While virtual reality can certainly provide us with all sorts of fun and entertainment, as well as a number of practical uses, we should always ask that critical question, uh, what is it that uh, it brings in terms of its downsides? What are the negatives? What are the dangers with regard to virtual reality and living the Christian life? Well, tech, tech expert Kevin Kelly in his book, The Inevitable, Uh, touts the wonders of VR. He says it's, quote, a fake world that feels absolutely authentic. You can experience a hint of virtual reality when you watch a movie in 3D on a jumbo IMAX screen in surround sound. Now, this may date him a little bit or perhaps me a little bit, but he likens virtual reality uh, to the movie The Matrix and the world that its chief character Neo experiences He says that it is hyper-real, perhaps even more real than the world in which that character lives. I know that this is probably a great shock to you, but another example of this would be Star Trek. I know I shouldn't be talking about Star Trek. It should be all things Star Wars all the time. But nevertheless, he draws attention to Star Trek and the next generation and the holodeck. Uh, That is uh, a little part of that science fiction where you go into this room and it creates a virtual world around you so real that things feel uh, authentic and real to the touch. Now, we can't say that virtual reality has taken those types of steps, but we can say that it's perhaps hurtling quickly in that direction. 
You can put on a VR helmet, for example, and take a tour of a house a thousand miles away uh, as you sit in a real estate uh, agent's office. You can use virtual reality for business purposes. You can create virtual worlds, fantasy worlds, if you will, for, uh, you know, uh, just for entertainment purposes. Pilots that are training can train for real-world emergencies without ever leaving uh, the ground. Doctors can perform surgeries uh, when they are halfway around the world and give access to premier medical uh, care and medicine uh, in other parts of the world that cannot bring the patients to the doctors or the doctors uh, to the patients. Police officers can train in virtual, real, uh, virtual reality simulators where they learn about shoot-no-shoot shoot scenarios that can increase public safety and law enforcement uh, efficiency. So there are certainly many benefits, many benefits to virtual reality. But what are the downsides and what are the dangers for the Christian life? I think that uh, Kevin Kelly's statement there uh, really gives us I, uh, warning signs. He says it's a fake world. It's a fake world that feels absolutely authentic. It's a fake world that feels absolutely authentic. I think that in this particular case, that should warn us as to the dangers. That if we can create something that is not real, but nevertheless feels as authentic or perhaps even more real than reality itself, it seems to be an environment that's ripe for idolatry. I think ultimately it's a technology that tries to drive a wedge uh, between our minds and our bodies, our minds and our bodies. Kelly uh, gives an example that he was using some advanced VR technology where he was in a lab at Stanford. He donned the VR equipment and he says before he knew it, he thought that he was standing uh, on a thin board suspended 30 meters above a pit and that all of a sudden his senses of fear kicked in because he was scared of heights as any normal person would be and he tried to back off of the board and, and instead he tried to leap back and ended up crashing to the floor but it was, he was quickly scooped up by lab attendants because they were there to protect him just in case that he uh, might injure himself. The whole point here is that Kelly did not and could not sense the difference between reality and virtual reality because the technology was ultimately driving a wedge between his mind and the real world. Nevertheless, he says, quote, in the coming 30 years, anything that is not intensely interactive will be considered broken. Anything that is not intensely interactive will be considered broken. There, I think, is another warning for Christians. That if you think about it, that as you look into the real world, as you live your real world experience, if you feel as if it's broken, as God has given it to you, and you want to seek to alter it or to augment it, then what does it say about the possibility of creating idols, of displacing the very good creation that God has given us? And so I think in this uh, area, we can ask three important questions, three important questions. The first question is this, are we illegitimately trying to close the gap 
between us and that which we desire? Are we illegitimately trying to close the gap between, what, uh, between us and what we desire? In the Garden of Eden, when God said, here, I want, I'm going to give you everything, except I do not want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, Eve, when she was tempted, she saw that the tree was good, that its fruit looked appealing, that it was desirable to make one wise. And so the tree was at a distance. And she tried illegitimately to close the gap between her and what she desired. And she short-circuited the process. She disobeyed God's command. She and Adam took of the fruit. They ate of it. And, of course, they did so to disastrous consequences. They illegitimately tried to close the distance between themselves and what they desired. But ultimately, the relationship between themselves and the tree was not ultimately about the relationship between themselves and this object, but rather it was ultimately about their relationship between themselves and God. God placed himself at a distance, and he said, I want you to close this gap legitimately. I want you to follow my word. I want you to heed my commands. I want you to pursue it in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But instead, they tried to short-circuit the gap. They illegitimately tried to close that distance between themselves and God. And as I said, they did so to disastrous consequences. Now, if this is the case, if we can see this, then we have to ask the question and we have to recognize that with virtual reality, there is the temptation illegitimately to close the gap between us and the real world, between us and reality, between us and what we desire. If you can't go and scuba dive the Great Barrier Reef, well, use virtual reality. If you can't fly, well, use virtual reality and and, and enter this virtual world. Now, those two particular examples might seem somewhat benign, and for the most part, I think they could be. But... If we allow virtual reality to displace reality on a regular basis so much so that it becomes a substitute for reality, then I think we really have to be concerned. It's like the athlete, the professional athlete using uh, performing, uh, performing enhancing drugs or performance enhancing drugs. He's no longer satisfied with what he can accomplish naturally, so he has to augment it. He has to boost his capacities. Or it's like the celebrity culture that we see where they resort to plastic surgeries to change their physical appearance in one way or another and end up taking on cartoonish uh, or distorted dimensions because they're not satisfied with what God has given them. Our own virtual worlds can become idols of our own makings and that it instead points us not to God. Remember, that ultimately is the function of the creation. It's to point us to God who created it all. But if we end up forming and shaping the world around us to accommodate our own desires and we illegitimately try to close that gap between us and the world, then we end up creating an idol. It seems to be a realm rife with idolatry, or certainly its possibility. A second question that we should ask in this regard is that, uh, are virtual friends real? 
Are virtual friends real? I suspect that most of us are not too heavily uh, into virtual reality, you know, in the sense of donning the VR headset. I refuse to wear any of that stuff because I feel like you look like a moron. You know, you're, you know, you kind of put this thing on and then you just kind of sit there. I just, you know, I don't want to do it. You know, so that, that's not necessarily a good reason not to do it. It's just my reason. But I suspect that the most common form of virtual world interaction comes to us through the virtual friends that we have through social media. Now, I suspect that for many of us, you know, we have our list of friends there. The, you know, uh, my brother, for example, I think has like a thousand friends. I think I only have something like, you know, you know, a hundred or something like that. And there are true a number of real world connections there. I don't want to say that that number is entirely false or virtual. But at the same time, we should ask ourselves, we should ask ourselves, how real are those friends? Are they virtual friends or are they friends? You know, one of the things that Kelly notes in his book is that he says in social media, you have many people who create false friends. There are hackers out there that create puppet accounts that have friends, imaginary friends with imaginary friends of imaginary friends. In other words, it's not real. When we look, for example, at the lives of our friends, and you get this in your feed, you get this on Instagram, you get this on your Facebook feed, you know, one of the things that uh, scholars who study technology say is that social media leads to bouts of depression. Why? Well, because your friends put their lives up there on social media, and you never really see that many pictures of, I'm utterly depressed, I've just woken up, you know, I've got bedhead, you know, or I'm absolutely miserable. It's always, hey, this is great, hey, this is fun. You know, how often do we see reality when our friends post pictures? How often do we see unvarnished truth on social media? And so therefore, can our virtual friends be really true friends? This is something I think that Aristotle, for example, he opined this when he talked about the nature of friendship. He said, in poverty and in other misfortunes, men think of friends are the only refuge. It helps the young, too, to keep them from error. It aids older people by ministering to their needs and supplementing the activities that uh, they are failing from in weakness. Those in the prime of life, it stimulates to noble actions, two going together. For with friends, it means that we are more able both to think and to act. You know, I was just watching an interview or a presentation by a soldier where he says, most people come to his talks and he asks them that he says, hey, are you guys friends? Yeah, well, is there something that has really, you know, what is it that has brought you together? He says, well, it's just we hang out together. He says, I, I hate to destroy your idea of friendship, but true friendship comes in the crucible of adversity when things get really horrible and your friend sticks with you no matter what through thick and thin. That, in other words, is kind of a real-world kind of thing. It's not really something that can be captured in the virtual world. Proverbs 18.24, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
Proverbs 13.20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. But I think it's ultimately Christ who I think sets the bar high, even higher than what we find in the Proverbs, much higher than what we find in Aristotle. When he says in John 15.13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I think true friendship demands the real world, this creation that is all around us. It involves sacrifice. It involves giving of ourselves physically, emotionally, spiritually to another, not just typing a few comments or scrolling past a few pictures. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you can't have virtual friends, that you can't have your social media accounts and what have you. That's fine. But understand its limitations. Understand that it's a virtual world, that it's not ultimately real. And in this respect, I think that it was James Bannerman, the 19th century Scottish Presbyterian, who noted that given our union with Christ, that ultimately our embedded reality, if you will, our embedded world is found most prominently in the church. According to the arrangement of God, he writes, the Christian is more of a Christian in society than alone. He is more of a Christian in society than, in, than alone. Christ has redeemed us to be a part of a body, a real world physical body, the church, so that when we gather together each and every Lord's Day, we hear the preached word, we receive physical sacraments like baptism, which has water, something that is tactile, that is sensible. We receive the Lord's Supper in the bread and in the cup, and we participate in the fellowship of the saints as the church cares for our real world physical needs. So are virtual friends real? Third and finally, can we or really should we encourage ourselves to try to divorce our minds from our bodies? Is that something that we should be doing? I think that the more that VR tech advances, the more I think it's going to try to drive a wedge between us and the world. You know, what Kelly says here is that anything that is not virtual will seem broken. That, to me, is a frightening thought. To look out upon God's good creation to think that it would be broken because it doesn't match up to our virtual experience. But ultimately, we have to recognize this, is that if we are created, if God has created us as ensouled bodies, or we could say embodied souls, that ultimately we cannot try to divorce the immaterial aspects of our existence from our material aspects of our existence. Moreover, the more we try to isolate ourselves from the world, ultimately what we're doing is we're isolating ourselves from that which testifies to who God is. The Belgic Confession says we know God by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to us to make us ponder the invisible things of God. But I think the chief thing that should cause us to reflect upon the real world and continually to make sure that we live in it is think of the Son of God 
You know, one of the children's catechism questions, God is not like man, you know, he does not have a body like man, he has a spirit. And yet, nevertheless, this spirit, the Son of God, took on a human nature. As John writes in 114, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. What does this say about our very human existence? What does this say about our embodied state? What does this say about the inherent goodness of the creation, even in spite of the fall? What does this say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us? I think it says that we ought to be very cautious with anything that would encourage us to divorce ourselves from the world, to divorce our minds from our bodies. I think in the end we can say that virtual reality has many positive uses, but the moment that we allow it to disconnect ourselves from the real world, I think we run headlong into the dangers of idolatry. We run headlong into diminishing the nature of the real world and real things like friendship, and that we try to disconnect the inseparable connection between the body and the mind. So use VR, but never let it replace the world the good world that God has created, the world that heralds his existence, the good physical creation into which the Son of God entered to redeem us, to live in a physically embodied future state for ages to come. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks for the goodness of this creation. And we pray, O Lord, that you would keep us from forming idols. We give thanks for the good gifts of the technology that we have all around us and that assist us and aid us in so many ways in life, as well as even give us uh, forms of entertainment. But at the same time, O Lord, we pray and ask that you would protect us from idolatry, that you would not allow us to let this technology become a replacement for you or the good gifts that you have given to us. We pray that we would be discerning users of technology, discerning users of the creations of our own hands, that we would ultimately never bow down to them, but in the end only bow down to you and worship you in Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.